Episode 154, asking one question while looking in a mirror might change your life. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, alongside Jason Jennings. Jason, great to see you. Hi, Dale. It's, uh, it's great to be back with you. Can I tell you something? I, 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 I have to do this. I promised her I was going to do this. Oh uh, Andrea Temmel uh, is my speaking manager. So she books all of my speeches all around the world. She's, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And she called me last uh, week. Well, we talked several times a day, but she called me on a Monday. And she said, I just watched yesterday's podcast, and I loved it. She said, Dale is just so cute. He looks so good with that beard. <laughs> I thought she was going to tell me about content. I thought she was going to tell me how good I was. I know she's taken with you. So the beard's looking good, dude. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Tell her thank you if I don't get a chance to do so myself. And and you know, I mean, the whole television game, we've both played it, and you definitely hear more about what you wear and what you look like than the content. You sure do. This you is sure true. Do. I remember that very well. So speaking of content, I'm really excited uh, to dive in today because when you talk about this idea of the one question, I love clarifying questions. I love to have a question that I run through my mind on a regular basis. And uh, you're going to give us one today to really make us think. Uh, I am. And it's a question that... um uh, I think some people will ask once, and that will be enough, and they may never ask it again. I find myself asking myself this question in the mirror with some degree of regularity. Uh, let me set this up this way. Uh, I have always loved uh, all the speeches I do, and I complain about all the travel I do, but uh, as I'm told at home all the time, there's nobody in the world that loves what they do as much as you do. But in the past six or eight or maybe 12 months, I've been thinking, where are all of these incredible companies coming from that I have an opportunity to be in front of. I, I, I just love the one I did last week. I love more than the one the week before and the one the week before. I love more than the one the week before. I love them all. I mean, I just, and so I was sitting on an airplane thinking there's one of three things happening. Uh, one possibility is uh, people know what I talk about, um, know where I'm coming from, know where our research has led us, and that's the type of speaker they want to have in front of their audience. That's one possibility. The second possibility is bad companies might not want to have me because they'd be uh, outed, if you will, in, in front of their people. And the third possibility is that companies are just getting better and more and more companies are nailing it. And I prefer to think that it's the third. I think that more and more companies have a greater sense of conscience and doing the right thing and acting responsibly and doing it the right way, despite a lot of the things you hear in the mainstream media uh, about transgressions in the part of some leaders and executives that's been very much in the news in the U.S. market. Um, I, I think companies more and more are 
getting it. But what I want to share with you today is that, uh, as you know, having studied 220,000 companies and having interviewed more than 18,000 executives one-on-one for inclusion in my books, uh, very often I've had the opportunity to look at people and say, wow, you are one great leader. And what do you think I get in response to telling somebody they're a great leader? It's not an ah, shucks, false humility at all. Uh, Truly authentic and accomplished leaders whose leadership reigns and withstands the test of time don't see themselves as leaders at all. I oftentimes hear, I'm no leader, I'm an engineer, the rest is serendipity. Or I'm no leader, and if you insist on talking about that word in front of me, I mean, I don't want to continue the conversation. They really don't see themselves as leaders. What they do is they see themselves as good stewards or servant leaders. And I think the two are synonymous. Servant leader and good steward are, I believe, completely synonymous. And so what I wanted to do today, uh, in light of these last, I don't know, six or seven speeches I've given, where just the message about stewardship and being a servant leader was so well received, uh, I'd, I'd like to give you a kind of a peek behind the curtains and share with you what I talk about when I'm speaking with audience is about the subject of stewardship and servant leaders. So can we proceed on that basis? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are actually, and I'm going to go quickly, so don't think this podcast is going to go forever. There are actually nine traits that I think my researchers and I have landed on. And so when we've identified a really good steward leader, or we've identified a good servant leader. I mean, and you go through all the notes. We think there are about nine traits that determine um, or are uh, representative that you will find in the part of these people. And then I'm going to share with you this one huge question that uh, this exercise to do in the mirror that uh, I don't think anybody will have heard of before. So first of all, servant leaders and good stewards, are by their very nature sharing people. And one of the things that that means is that all the knowledge is shared with all the people. Um, There was a time when knowledge was power, and only the moneyed few had access to the knowledge, which gave them a competitive advantage. Knowledge is no longer power. There's been a democratization of information. If you tell me that you want me to find a piece of information, give me a high-speed internet connection, give me a half hour, and I will find it. And so will anybody else. So knowledge is no longer power. Execution is power. And therefore, the more people who have the knowledge, the more likely you are to have flawless execution. Number two. Servant leaders, good stewards, they are accessible and they keep their hands dirty. And there's only one way to keep your hands dirty. You spend half of your time with your customers saying, what else can we do? How else can we help you? How can we do a better job of helping you? And you spend the other half of your team with your people 
asking your people, I mean, where are you trying to go? How can we help you try to get to where you want to go? How can the position that you're in right now ultimately get you to where you want to be? You can only do this. And some might say, well, when do I do the other administrative stuff? I don't know, Saturdays, Sundays, late at night, early morning. Most of it is make work anyway. And and most of that make work won't exist if you spend half your time with your customers and half your time with your people. Uh, Great stewards and servant leaders keep their hands dirty. Number three, servant leaders, I just had an opportunity. I I was with this group called Beachbody. And if you're not familiar with B, and I was out in Las Vegas with them, Beachbody is predominantly female. The company has been around for 20 years. And they began, maybe people will remember, they used to to sell on infomercials, exercise programs on VHS cassettes. And uh, then they uh, started doing it on DVD. And then came Shakeology, uh, which is their smoothie or shake program and other nutritional stuff. Most people don't know just how huge this is. Hundreds of thousands of women work for this company. And it's multi-level in that uh, when you sign up with Beachbody uh, to buy their products, then you have the right to become a coach and offer it or sell it to other people. And some of these women uh, have uh, have 15 and 20,000, 25,000 people in their downline. They make in excess of a million, million and a half, two million dollars a year. I mean, I have never been so excited to be with a group of people as I was these group of people. But, but here's what I told them. I remember talking to one woman and she said, you have no idea what I came through. She said, I had body issues my entire life. I was 50 or 60 pounds overweight. I was in an abusive relationship. Probably because of my weight, we had had two miscarriages. And the relationship, was, and I had no sense of self-esteem at all, and the relationship was falling apart. And she said, I signed up with Beachbody. Let me tell you what happened. She said, I started exercising in my own home because I was too embarrassed to go to a gym. And she said, I got rid of the weight. And I started the Shakeology program. I've never felt better than I've in my life. And all of a sudden, I had so much self-esteem. And she said, I never thought I was selling this to anybody. And I'm getting to my point here in a moment, Dale. She said, when I talk to other people about becoming coaches and customers of Beachbody, she said, I don't feel like I'm selling them. I feel like I've been given the greatest gift that anybody could ever be given. And what I want to do is I want to share this gift with other people. Well, the point I want to make is this. <clears throat> Servant leaders... Steward leaders are fearless about growth. And why are they fearless about growth? Because they know what the product or service they have is good. They know it's great. Otherwise, they wouldn't be behind it. They wouldn't be in it. And if you have this great gift, I mean, why don't you want to give it to everyone? I mean, why do we do this podcast? Uh, We're called to do this podcast because I've got all of this incredible research about how great leaders and good people achieve their full economic potential. Why do we do this? I have to do this. You have to do this because we are called to share that gift with people. And so when I say they're fearless about growth, it's not just serious about hitting the target or hitting the number. I mean, it's being so excited and believing in what you do so much that you wanted to give it as a gift to somebody else. So fearless about growth. Servant leaders and good stewards stand for something. They've got this set, and we've talked about it so many times, of four or five or six guiding principles. And what they're proud to tell people is, here are our five or six guiding principles. It's how we make decisions in this company. If you're comfortable with our guiding principles, 
come and join us. If you're not, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it does mean that you wouldn't fit here. Last week, the Wall Street Journal had a great article about how many companies are moving to like three, four, and five-minute meetings. There's no more PowerPoints allowed, no more 10 or 12 people sitting around a table and everybody having a voice and droning on and on and on. They huddle for four or five or six minutes, and they make decisions. I first wrote about this in my very first book, It's Not the Big That Eat the Small, It's the Fast Eat the Slow, that that's how meetings were conducted at Schwab. You can only make decisions if everyone in the organization knows the guiding principles. And as the woman who heads the practice of the most admired CPA firm in the country told me last year, and I, I mentioned this in a podcast, she said, every meeting we have, we begin by reading our guiding principles. And she said, it's an amazing thing. She said, we finish our meetings in five, six, seven, or eight minutes. She said, other firms, their meetings drone on for hours on end. She said, that's not necessary. So you have to have the guiding principles. Then the next one is you have to have a sense of urgency. Um, if, if you've got this great gift, this product or service that you have, and you want more and more people to have it, ergo, you also want the people who work for you I mean, to do better financially and achieve their full potential, too. So why would you not operate with a sense of urgency of let's get it done? The next one is this. All of these incredible leaders whose offices I've been in around the world for the past 18 years since I began researching my first book, I've never seen an office filled with superficial distinctions. I've never been in an office filled with golf trophies and pictures of them with politicians and show business celebrities. I've just, I've never seen that. Most of them work in very, very simple cubicles or very, very small offices. They're so secure in themselves that they don't have to announce to the world who they are. I mean, by the trophies they surround themselves with. And on the same note, I've, we yes. have talked about this before. They also don't have a marked parking stall at the no. front door of the building. No, no. I mean, unbelievable. Are you so in? First of all, are you so lazy that you can't walk? I mean, that's my first question. And are you so insecure in yourself? You're so important that you have to have a parking spot with your name on it. I mean, that's dinosaur stuff. I mean, forget about it. So next, if you're a servant leader, um, you are called to make everything better for everyone. That's all the members of the constituencies. And that's your workforce. That's your customers. That's your vendors and suppliers. That's your shareholders and owners. And that's the planet. And you work relentlessly to improve everything for everyone. Great servant leaders and steward leaders are coaches and mentors. They love nothing more than helping other people get to where they want to get. And finally, why do they do it? This is the final one. Because they are truly called to serve. I often jokingly tell people that I am not a researcher and an author and a speaker. I actually have a ministry, and I consider this to be my ministry. I mean, I have this great research that we've developed over the years, these great books that we've written. I need to be out there ministering to people and helping other people. And that's what great leaders feel, too. So now, are you set for the exercise? Yes, bring on the exercise. Okay, so first of all, would you like all of those to be traits that that are part of who you are? Absolutely. Okay, all right. Well, here's a way to figure out if it's possible. Okay. And I stumbled on this, and you have no idea how much email I, 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 I get. So what you have to do is it requires you standing and looking in a mirror. Okay. Nobody else can be around, okay? Because here's what I believe. It's impossible 
to look in the mirror and lie to yourself. Mm. Unless you're a psychopath or sociopath, unless you are one real twisted individual, you cannot look in a mirror and, I mean, lie to yourself. You'll start laughing. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I had a weight problem when I was playing sports and I was 240 pounds. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a tall man, but I was fat. I mean, I don't want to hear about well-built and well-muscled. I was fat, all right? And now I'm 172 and can bench press more than I bench pressed when I was 240 pounds. But I remember standing there naked out of the shower looking at myself in the mirror. What? You think you can tell yourself you're a svelte dude with a great body that everybody, I mean, would like to jump on? You can't do it. You're looking at yourself. You're fat. You know you're fat. We could use all the nice words for it. I knew I was fat when I looked at myself in the mirror. So here's the question. You got to look look at yourself in the mirror and ask the question, is my life going to be more about me? Or is my life going to be more about others? And then just look at yourself and think. Now, there's a lot of people who will walk away and say, the hell with that nonsense. I mean, my life is going to be about me. I'm going to get as much as I can because I don't believe there's enough to go around. And these are people who come from a position of scarcity. But when you can look in the mirror and say, you know, I want to give myself to this. I want my life to be more about others than me. It will have profound implications on on your being. It will have profound implications on your life, on your wife, your husband, your partner, your children, your coworkers. I mean, everybody that you interact with. If you can look in the mirror and say, I want my life to be more about others than myself. And so that's what I would urge everybody to do. Um, go in the bathroom, want to have a big mirror, turn on all the lights. If you really want to see yourself, look in the mirror and just say, is my life going to be more about me? Or is my life going to be more about others? It'll reveal everything you'll ever want to know about yourself. That is a fantastic clarifying question. Thank you for that. Mm. Okay. How and how often are you asking that question? How often are you uh, having the, the man in the mirror conversation? Well, I I, I, I will tell you this. Um, I first did this probably about the time that I got my first book contract. Um, at first, I was very excited that I got a book contract from this huge publishing company, and it was all about me. I was excited that I was going to be a published author uh, coming out from this big publishing company, and I was very proud of that, and it was about me. <clears throat> and it was about halfway through the research and writing one day that I looked in the mirror and said, wait a minute, you got this backwards. If this book is really going to make a difference for people, this book has got to be not about you. This book has got to be about other people. And so there was a period in my life where I not only asked the question, but reminded myself daily. I think it becomes muscle memory then, but I will tell you that there have been a few times where I will look at myself in the mirror and I no longer ask myself the question, 
But what I do is I give myself a reminder. I, I just did this yesterday. I looked in the mirror and I said, listen, Bubba, remember, this is more about others than yourself. Uh, just yesterday, I gave myself that reminder because I felt like I was just being a little bit too me-centered yesterday. So I think it's a question that you ask once and you come up with the wrong answer. I mean, if, if you're going to lead your life in scarcity, uh, you'll never ask the question again. I mean, because you can't lie to yourself. But once you understand that there's enough for everybody and you come from a position of abundance and you want your life to be about other people, then instead of the question, all you have to do is once in a while uh, subtly remind yourself that your life is going to be more about others than your selfish little self. So I'm going to use the air quotes around leader in this case, but have you have you worked with or seen a leader who made the transition from answering the question, it's all about me, to answering the question, it's all about others? Uh, yes, and it always happens. We just referenced this in a podcast we did uh, a week ago. Uh, it comes from a seminal moment, uh, I think, in somebody's life. Uh, I know a very great leader who lost a child, and they told me that was that was the starting over point for them. That that's what did it for them. I know of other leaders who were with companies that went upside down and adversely affected the lives of lots and lots of people. For them, that was enough to promise themselves never to do it again. Uh, and so. Yet generally, it takes a momentous life event, uh, but I have written about and know many CEOs and quote-unquote leaders who did change mid-path. I think being a servant leader, being a good steward, I, I know another CEO whose company had a 50% annual turnover rate. And he said, with 5,000 employees, we were losing 2,500 employees a year. And he said, there was no way we were going to become a company with 10,000 or 20,000 employees with 50% turnover. There had to be a major change. And and that was, was all it took for him to say, there's got to be another way to do this. We are doing something wrong. And that's what he got into the concept of servant leadership. And he would tell you, I mean, that servant leadership and being a good steward is responsible for the entire success of his company today. Uh, so, yeah, and, 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 and anybody can change. I was going I mean, to ask, what is the impact of that transition when you've, when you've seen the transition? And you just alluded to it, but. Yeah. Well, as he said, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's hard sometimes. You have to remind yourself all the time. Uh, he said the first year when they took this already very big company and charted this course of servant leadership, I mean, a lot of people left. A lot of people thought it was some touchy-feely, you know, new age thing that they wanted nothing to do with. And he said there were some tough moments, but you have to be resolute. And I, 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 and I, I just think you have to be resolute. You have to remind yourself uh, every day. I'm, I'm, look, I, I never set myself up as a model. I write about the models in my books. I've never proclaimed that I am a model, but I, I know the profound effect it had on me. I mean, every day, I mean, I'm very present in that I want my life to be more about others than myself. And I personally get a lot of, a lot of joy out of that. That's the impact. All right. Jason Jennings, thank you so much. What an, uh, a deep 
probing question. Is this about me or is it about serving others? Thank you for that. All right. So with that, I will tell folks, this is the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. We would love to have you find us on iTunes and subscribe so that each and every week when a new episode is released, you are one of the first to know about it. You can find it easily at jason-jennings.com slash iTunes. And Jason Jennings is the author who USA Today calls one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. Find out how to book him for your next event or leadership summit. You can do so at jason-jennings.com. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.